We're in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This verse 13, in the way that it's comprised, divides the, um, the book into two. And at this point, we realize in Galatians that the apostle is talking and he is, he is speaking. He spent the first five chapters talking about the theology. And we spent a lot of time in theology. He's talking about justification, talking about how the faith in the Messiah has changed things and things have, have changed in terms of uh, religion and the Judaizers and all that has taken place and all that has happened. But now we enter into a moment where we know that it's about the power and the work of the freed of the spirit that we're talking about. But what, what theologians understand is that there wasn't just the problem with the Judaizers that existed. But the churches in Galatia were quite fragmented and they also had the problem on one side with people who were hyper-legal and other people on the other side who were so free in the spirit that they were taking their liberty to live and to do anything they wanted to do because they saw their freedom as license to sin. And let me just remind you that freedom in Christ Jesus is not license to sin. Freedom in Christ Jesus brings us that we enjoy a level of freedom and holiness and connection with God that brings us deeply into that relationship with Christ and, and that our inner lives are transformed and sanctified and we experience the power of Christ within our lives. So it was pretty messy. You have these groups that are very... Uh, Moving back towards Jerusalem and the idea of complete Judaism. And you have groups that are moving forward into freedom and they want to act and be as they please. Because if Christ has forgiven them everything, then it doesn't matter. Let's, as grace abounds, let's just sin and let's just carry on like that. And what we realise from these next three verses is that... Church is messy. But some messes are worth doing. My wife's been away the last, um, it makes it sound like she's been away for months. She was only away for 24 hours. Uh, but <laughs> it was very stressful for me. And all the kids were at home. And I don't know about your kids, but I noticed over this 24 hours, their ability to walk into the kitchen and drop a small hand grenade, and when they leave, it looks like an explosion has taken place. Right? And I'm like, come on. I mean, one of them actually works in a restaurant, and I have no idea how she gets on, because when she approaches that, our kitchen, it's like a hurricane has come through, and it's like everywhere. But I looked at the mess, as I began to load the dishwasher, and a small smile came across my face. Because the mess in the kitchen represented life and connection and family. It represented the conversations as they all stood around and bringing their boyfriends as well these days. Boyfriends. All of that. <laughs> 
Honestly. Boyfriends. Where, did, where does that happen? Oh, how did that happen? And I look at it and they bring, and they, they even go and buy their own bread and they break the bread and have dips. And I'm looking at this scene and at the end of it, there's crumbs everywhere. Mess. It's on the floor. Dad has to get the vacuum out. But I'll tell you something, I'd rather have a mess like that than have no mess at all. Because it speaks of family, it speaks of relationship, it speaks of connection, it speaks of life. But we know that church life can be messy and we know at times church life is difficult. And some of you have been in smaller churches, have experienced perhaps even the instability of relationships and difficulty and the mess of church. But there are some messes that are worth doing. And it seems that the Apostle Paul feels as Christ Jesus does and as Ephesians 5 verse 25 talks about the church and as Jesus is the head of the church, the church is a mess worth engaging in, in relationships. Because although at times it can be difficult, the beauty is, is that this is God's gift. The church is the hope of the world. And we are here as a family of God, even as we talk about disaster, even as we talk about pandemics. Let me tell you, there were pandemics in the Roman Empire. And when the Roman elite left... To go to their villas in the mountains. It was the Christians that cared for people who were sick. And as a result, it was one factor that brought the conversion of the Roman Empire. It's a mess worth doing. It's a mess worth engaging. And what Paul is doing in these verses, he is warning them, he is reminding them, and he is encouraging them that this mess is worth living and that how should we engage with each other and how should we engage in this journey. And the way that we should engage and the way that we should do this is, well, first of all, is to know that we have freedom And the power of the flesh has been broken. You, my brothers and sisters, we are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see... It is flesh. We have been freed from the power of flesh. And flesh is that part of our sinful character that causes us to go in a different direction than the Lord asks us to do. It's the flesh that stops us from fully engaging in the freedom and the life of the Spirit. It's the flesh that can hold us back and can wreck marriages and wreck relationships and wreck friendships. Because it's that part of us that we need to be freed from. And when we are free from the flesh, what happens is that we are free to love and to serve others. Amen. But I have that effect sometimes. But when you have a relationship with Christ, and an intimate love relationship with him, Boy, do things change. And the power of the flesh is broken as we grow to have an intimate relationship with Christ. 
And Paul is saying in the messy church, in the messy relationships, in messy problems, we mustn't let the flesh rule. We must let the spirit rule. And we must allow, not allow ourselves to give into what is wrong, as in verse 15, the verse that lists everything that we'll get into. But what we must learn to do is know that the flesh is present, but we have a battle. And we see this, and he lists them. He talks about fix. Fits of rage. He talks about jealousy. He talks about rivalry. He talks about envy. He talks about strife. He talks about dissension. He talks about these terrible relational things in relationship and the power of the flesh. How people can be ruled by these forces. But we don't need to be ruled by these forces. Because if Christ has set us free, we're free indeed. Fits of rage. I mean, I was with my daughter the other day and we were coming up to turn left at a, at a, a traffic light and there was a, a man behind us driving an old, uh, I want to say Ford F-150. And I could tell that he was not very happy. And I watched and I could tell and she paused. She was driving me, I sat next to her. And she paused because she could see a progestion walking. And I've taught her in my driving lessons. I've been taking three girls through to driving tests. I've taught her, do not run over pedestrians. <laughs> it's not good. So she paused. And then he starts, beep, beep, shouting, fist, beep, beep. And she's saying, but dad, there's a progestion. I said, ignore him. So we waited for the prediction. I said, don't get angry. Don't do anything. Just put a carry on. And he drives round. He comes at the side of me and everything and gets angry. It'd be hilarious if I said, and I looked at him. I recognized he was a pastor. Um, <laughs> but that story wasn't that awesome. But he, he gets round. He drives in front of us. And as he drives past, he sends us a, a hand signal. Um, <laughs> Read between the lines and fits of rage. The flesh, that is the flesh and it's worst. It's uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled rivalry, uncontrolled envy, uncontrolled jealousy, uncontrolled um, lust, uncontrolled power within our lives. And yet Paul says we're free. And so how do I understand this? Will I realize that I, for I no longer live, but Christ that lives within me. And I understand it in this way that I have nailed my flesh to the cross. For I've crucified myself, he says. And although we have crucified the flesh, we continue to be in a battle because the flesh is warring with us and is, is coming to us continuously. And there's a battle on. There's a fight on. There's a fight on not to give in to the flesh, but there's a fight on that we surrender to the power of the Spirit and we enter in to the most beautiful relationship with Christ that is so wonderful. And my mission in life is to die to my flesh and to live to the Spirit. Spirit of Christ within me. 
My mission in life is that I no longer live, but Christ that lives in me. And the more I die is the more I live, because the more I live, the more I live in Christ. And when I live in Christ, I become the man that God intended me to be. What a journey to lose the flesh and to live in the glory of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a battle, raging, it's fighting. But there's those times when you and I, in our walk of devotion with Christ, find his beauty, find his wonder, his goodness. I had a few days off, not last week, but the week before, after a very busy rush and preaching. And so I went up and uh, for a couple of days, I uh, took Josiah, took him out of school and we went for a, a skiing trip together. So we had two days together skiing up at Big White and then he went back to do an exam on the first and I went off into the, into the skiing and it was perfect, beautiful. And I was, it was, nobody was really around. Skied down one of the pieces and... Halfway down, I stopped and I looked at what I was looking at, the beautiful valley. The perfect trees covered in snow. The beauty, the staggering whiteness of the white. There's such a statement. It's not very poetic. I looked at it and I went, oh. You know, so often we're so busy skiing backwards and forwards, up and down, moving up and down that we forget to look at where we are. So I clicked my, my skis off and I dug a little, a little seat for myself on the piste up at Gem Lake and I sat in it and I thought, I'm just going to have 30 minutes watching the beauty of this moment and being with my Lord. I closed my eyes. I was just with my Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Until I was interrupted by the uh, medical ski people. (laughs) All of a sudden I heard the shh, shh, shh. Are you okay? I said, yes, I'm just communing with my Lord. (laughs) Oh, okay. Off they went. I am never more alive when I've put the flesh to death than when I'm in the spirit of Christ. I'm never more alive when I spend that intimate time with my Savior. And he comes close to me. And so you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love. He's talking to church. That we serve one another humbly in love. I can't even get my head around that verse. I'm trying to experience a level of Christian love and to step into that journey like never before. And I think we're all on that journey, aren't we? 
To discover a level of God's love and God's power and God's touch towards one another that we've never traveled there before. Because I am hungry to go deeper into the humility of the love of Christ. I'm hungry that the love of Christ will fill me. I'm hungry that the love of Christ will fill my life. I'm on that pursuit And at times I feel I fail so badly. But what are the things of the flesh? For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law. Paul and and Jesus at the Last Supper turned everything around and said, love your neighbor as yourself. Do I get that verse? The entire Torah, the entire law, the whole fulfillment of everything in the commandments is fulfilled. Is this true? It's fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. That is the biggest challenge that we have as believers to step into that, to love God as our, to love our neighbor. To, to engage in that. How do, I, how do I do that? How do I get the strength to do that? How do I f- defeat the flesh and love my neighbor as myself? But I am willing, because it is commanded, to go on that journey of love. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will destroy, be destroyed by each other. Quite a statement, isn't there? If you bite and devour each other, in other words, don't fight like cats and dogs. I've got a dog. She's a little neurotic. She's a cross between a, a Wheaton Terrier and a Poodle. So she's half Irish and French. It's a terrible combination. She just wants to talk all the time, but if you talk to her, she gets all emotional. But my family really want me, and they've had this for years, they want us to have a cat. But I'm allergic to cats is what I tell them. (laughs) I've told them, the oldest girls are 21, I've told them since ever I remember that I'm allergic to cats. I can't even remember whether I am or not now. I am, yes, definitely I am. But they want me to have the test because they want to bring a cat into the home. They've always, but the test costs $400 with a naturopath doctor. I said, I'll do it if you pay for it. I've been waiting a few years. (laughs) But the danger in Christian community, what Paul is saying, is don't hurt each other, don't bite each other, do not devour each other. You've been part of a church with problems. The church I got converted in, I've only been a member of two churches, this one and that one. When I was 50, between when I was 15 and 21, my original church had three splits. 
coping with the worship wars, coping with the work of the Spirit, moving from extreme legalism, from exclusive brethren, all the way into becoming a stable and strong evangelical church. It's not easy. So the question I want to leave with you is this. How can you defeat the power of the flesh within the Christian community? I'll give you six areas. Number one, we defeat the power of the flesh in the Christian community and in our families and in our relationships when we are willing to give up grudges and we're willing to let go of unforgiveness and not let unforgiveness rule our lives and ruin our relationships and bring toxicity into situations. We have to be a people who move in, um, in forgiveness. We do not hold on to those grudges because those ancient grudges can really affect us. Those ancient grudges can, can, can pollute us. That unforgiveness can hold us back. And we need to step in to live lives of a people that we forgive. And when we live and we forgive... What happens is that we're loving your neighbor as yourself. Those people that we've put into that kind of mental penitentiary, that prison within our lives, that unforgiveness that we hold, it's time to let go of them and to let go of them and to say, I forgive and I move on. But it's terrible. The power of a grudge of unforgiveness. Number one. Number two is, don't let, in your walk, don't let your life continually be offended by little things. Little things. Minnows. Little issues. Because it's amazing in the journey how little quarrels, uh, bad relationships, little offenses can create so much problem and so much difficulty within the work of the flesh. And if we continually let little things bother us and not let go of them, then that will affect our relationships and that will affect our community. Third thing is Don't take positive things and stories and spin them negatively. Because so often when we move in the flesh, we can speak and we can hear something, but we always speak negative about it. We always come at it from a negative point of view. We always come at it in that way that tears it down and rips it to pieces. Number three, number four, we need to be willing to watch the way that we speak in those coffee appointments, in those moments when you gather with people. We have to be aware of of the person that is always critical, that is always negative, that is always gossiping, that is always tearing the community down. We have to avoid those people because the power of the flesh and the power of your tongue can rip and hurt people's lives. And it is far better to bless people, forgive people than to curse people. 
And yet it's so easy, it seems, in Christian community that we forget love your neighbor as yourself. But we bite and devour each other. Husbands and wives. Friendships. We have to be so careful that we don't bite and devour each other like a cat and a dog. We have to be careful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his wonderful little book, A Life Lived Together, said the one thing that mustn't exist in Christian community, where there is Christian community, is when we learn to hold resentment and secrets about each other. There should be nothing whispered in secret about the other Christian believer amongst other believers. He is genius, Bonhoeffer. If you've never read any of his work, he heard God's voice in Scripture. Rhema word came to him in 1941, and the word came from Isaiah, and the word was, do not linger in this land, go back to your land, for how will justice happen? So he got on a boat from New York where he was studying and working and was already a brilliant theologian. And he returned back to Germany, who was being ruled by the German uh, Nazis and set up the alternative Lutheran church because the Lutheran church had become apostate. Lutheran church had now started to put the Bible on the altar and also put the writings of the Hitler on the, on the altar. You know the history. He set up an alternative Bible college for new pastors who did not adhere to the fascist philosophy and theology that was wreaking havoc and destruction through Germany. He built communities and underground churches. His pastors were arrested and put in prison. They were murdered and just months before the end of the war, they took him and they hung him. But the one thing he understood was, as a martyr, was that Christian community is built on true love. And the church is a mess, but it's a mess worth having. What does Ephesians say? It says, do not let, your ang- do not let the sun go down on your anger. Otherwise, you create a foothold for the enemy. Um, how many of you have quoted that when you've had an argument with your wife or your husband? Just before you go, oh, we better make up, we mustn't let the sun go down. And one of you goes, Phew. it doesn't actually mean that. It's not applied to marriage, by the way. It's actually applied to the whole of Christian living. Because in the context of the verse, it comes under community. And what it means is, if you let anger rule you, and the sun sets down, it takes root within you, and the devil gains a foothold. The word foothold means actually space, real estate, in your life, land. The devil gains land in your life. And when he owns land in your life, he has authority in that area within your life. 
That's why anger is so dangerous. And so we have to be careful according to what the apostle teaches. Because he's saying, you are free. You've got a battle with the flesh going on, verse 15. We'll get to that next week. But you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Live up to your calling. Live up to your freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Yes, you've been forgiven. Yes, you're right. But don't indulge in the things of the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Love each other. Serve one another humbly in the love of Christ. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I better get rid of my grudges. I better deal with those little irritations. I better stop spinning things negatively. Oh Lord, help me to stop speaking negatively. And Lord, help me to control my tongue. Because so much destruction can come from our tongue. Because Christian communities in Galatia were battling for if you bite and devour each other, watch out, you will be, dest- you will be destroyed by each other. Can I ask you a question? How many Christians do you know their faith has been destroyed because of the words of another Christian? We all know those people. In fact, some of you have been those people and you've sneaked into Willow Park Church. Because you can hide. And that's awesome. I love it. Because God has given us a heart of healing and freedom and new beginnings. But don't give in to the flesh. It's time to roll out the barbed wire. It's time to stand on the turrets. It's time, gentlemen, to take up the sword and to put to death the flesh. And when you feel the lies of the flesh whispering to you, you pull out the sword of the word of God and you do battle as a good soldier of the Lord. You and I are on an epic journey to be men of God. You and I, ladies and gentlemen, we We are sons and daughters of the king and God has called us onto this epic journey that I no longer live but Christ that lives within me. And I pray that you and I will have the courage to keep trying to make this verse true. Love your neighbor as yourself. Watch what you say. Watch how you speak. Watch the way that you handle yourself. And let love. And I come to this decision. We're Anabaptists. Evangelicals. I need a baptism of God's love in my life. (sighs) Please, Lord. Because I need it. Fill me with your love. Because as 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient, love is kind. It is not envious, it does not respond in jealousy. It is not arrogant or boastful. 
It is not self-seeking. It does not dishonor others through speech. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always trusts, always perseveres, always protects. It always hopes. That is the baptism of love. Can I ask you to stand together as we finish? Powerful three verses that are the, the great top ten, tenic plates of the book of Galatians as we shift from awesome theology to practical living in the Christian life. And we're going to keep preaching Galatians all the way through to Easter. I want to finish the book. But Father, we do come to you now. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to be people of love. Help us, Lord, not to bite and devour people. Help us to live in Christian community where we don't speak in secret of others. And Father, right now I pray for anybody here this morning as the shepherd that may have experienced the woundings of words through the messiness of church life. And Father, as a pastor, I say, Lord, forgive us, forgive me, where there has been wounding that has taken place. I've seen it, the bluntness, and Lord, I pray that where there is that pain and that hurt and that agony, Lord, I pray That in this final song, your healing oil will come onto broken hearts. And I pray, Lord, that strongholds will be broken in the name of Jesus. Ground that has been gained by the enemy will be reclaimed this morning in our final moments. In Jesus' name. And in Lord, we say... That ground which the enemy has taken from us, we reclaim it in the name of Christ and his blood. And we declare, for I no longer live, but Christ that lives in me. And the enemy has no authority to own any ground of offense, of anger in my life, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I commit myself to continue the journey of love. To be consumed by the love of Christ. And help us to live that life, I pray. In Jesus' name. And for past hurts and 
memories. We ask, Lord, that your word promises you come to minister to those that are crushed in spirit. And I pray that where there's been a crushing, we now pray that there will be a healing. In the same way, the withered man man with the withered hand came to Jesus in the synagogue in Capernaum. They all waited and you spoke and his hand came back to life. I pray that in areas of our inner life where there is a withering, Jesus, you will speak and bring healing in your name. Amen.